0: Welcome to the Womb Happy Hour with Lorraine Giordano. It's time to connect with your feminine energy center, your own body, to achieve anything that your heart desires. It's a discussion about a place you may have not discussed so much, the place down there. Now, here is your host, Lorraine Giordano. Greetings. Welcome. I
1: hope you're having a wonderful day. You're listening to the Womb Happy Hour. I'm your host, Lorraine Giordano. I'd love to hear from you. So if you'd like to follow me on Twitter at Inspire2Health with the number two, you can like me on Facebook at Inspired2Health. And uh, you can check out my website, Inspired2Health.net. And on LinkedIn, if you'd like to connect, my name is spelled L-O-R-R-A-I-N-E Giordano, G-I-O-R-D-A-N-O. So... Today's episode is quite special, and sometimes I do a little bit of an extra intro, but we have a lot to talk about. So we're going to be exploring menstruation from the perspective of what's been going on from the ground realities in India with the help of Sinu Joseph. And um, I heard Sinu speak at the uh, Society for Menstrual Psycho Research Conference in Boston, Massachusetts in 2015. And she made such a huge impact on me. She kind of really opened up my my ideas and menstruation overall. Um, And she helped me to realize that some of my perceptions about existing menstrual taboos were somewhat off. And so, Sinu, she is the uh, co-creator of Mithri Speaks, and she is the managing trustee of this organization. And she's a three-time TEDx speaker, so... She's one of the best speakers that I've heard, I'm saying that, based on my financial industry experience and other talks that I've seen. So please check her out on, um, please check out her TEDx talks, and we're going to get into that. Um, to connect with Sino, please check out her website at org, and I'll spell that. It's M-Y-T-H-R-I-S-P-E-A-K-S dot org, and her blog she writes really interesting um, blogs on menstruation. It's mithreespeaks.wordpress.com. And you can like her on Facebook at Speaks. So, again, I'm just going to, and we're going to talk about it with Sinu, but I highly recommend you view her TEDx talks, especially the super science behind menstrual practices. So, with that said, Sinu, welcome to the show. So excited to have you on!
2: Hi, Lorraine. Hello, everyone. It's wonderful to be here, and thank you for the very kind introduction.
1: It is my pleasure, and uh, I think our listeners are going to be really, um, they're very fortunate to to get your your insights and um, what we're going to talk about today.
2: So I have a lot of uh, stories to share. So I'm excited to share them as well. Excellent.
1: Okay, so let's just get into it. There are, um, especially in the United States, things are shifting, the dialogue is shifting about menstrual taboos, but I'd love to hear your insights because you're in on the ground of uh, shifting menstrual taboos based on your perspective in India. Mm
2: -hmm. You know, when we had the conference in Boston, There was a lot of talks, in fact, we had a whole chart about world menstrual taboos, and uh, my only request to the team was to not call it a taboo, but instead to call it a cultural practice. Uh, What we often fail to realize is that what is referred to as a taboo by one culture might simply be a common and accepted practice in another culture. In India, there are a lot of practices around menstruation. To people from the West, it might seem that these practices are restrictions that are imposed on women. But you know, the idea of a cultural practice being a taboo rarely comes from the women who follow it. For them, it is a very natural thing to do and something that their mothers and their grandmothers have done. More often than not, the negative connotations to the practice do not come from the women who practice it themselves. Uh, when my team and I began our work about seven years ago on the subject, the thing that kept coming back to me were the questions that young girls would ask about these practices. Now we have retained the external forms of it, but for the most part we have forgotten the reasons and the meanings behind it. So for example, uh, the practice of restricting menstruating women from going to places of worship. The reason that is most often cited is that women are impure during menstruation and hence they are told to keep away. So when young girls would ask me is this true, I would be very quick to reply that no, this is just superstition and you should do what you want. And I kept telling them that for, I think, the first five years of my work. Wow. And then they just, <laughs> yeah, I did that. So I, I do understand when a lot of risk listeners might be thinking the same, that we need to just, you know, look beyond these practices. They are ancient, they are irrelevant. I just got to a point where I began to feel guilty about these answers that I was telling the children. Because the minute you dismiss something that they and their family have been following for years, we kill their self-confidence. Uh, we as outsiders are going in and telling them to rebel at home and this might have even created problems for them back at home and it was actually looking back, I think it was very irresponsible on my part to tell them to just dismiss what uh, their ancestors had known and done for so long. And. Uh, This is what started my team and me on this journey of really trying to understand, is there more to it? Because at the end of the day, even if we need to invalidate something, we need to be sure of that. Are we really invalidating it for the right reasons? So we traveled overall to at least nine states in India. We spoke to spiritual masters. We spoke to women from different tribes who were still practicing these. We spoke to the men and uh, we tried to understand what what lies behind these practices. I want to share just one of the incidents which really opened up my mind to the fact that there could be more to these practices than what it seems from the outside. Please do, yes. So uh, during uh, our travel, we, learned about this particular temple in South India in Andhra Pradesh in a place called Devipuram. And uh, it drew us because this was one temple uh, that was built by a person who was previously a nuclear physicist. So uh, he's now a spiritual guru, he passed away recently. His name is Sri Amritanatha Natha Nanda Saraswati. And he created this temple which was to worship the feminine, the Devi. And in his temple, there was this rare thing that there were women who were priests. And there were certain parts of the temple where these women priests would be present even while they were menstruating. So uh, naturally we were fascinated and we thought that he would have answers. And we were lucky enough to get an interview with him. And I would like to quote what he said when we asked him about the taboos around menstruating women not being allowed to go to temples or even not being touched in some cases. He said and I quote, what is pure we do not touch and what we do not touch we call a taboo. So menstruating women are so pure that we do not touch her at that time. So you know, unlike the typical negative connotations that we associate with the word taboo, this was the first time that I learned that it may be a restriction, but not with a negative implication or a negative meaning to it. And then further, he said something which was even more fascinating and bothered me for the next three to four years as I sought to understand what exactly he meant. Uh, What he said later on was that the reason for not having a woman go into a temple is that she becomes a living goddess at that time. He said that the energy of the god or the goddess that is there in the idol will move over to her, and that the idol then becomes a lifeless stone while this menstruating woman becomes the goddess. And that's why they were prevented from entering the temple during this time. I'm sure this is like the most flattering response that any woman would receive, especially when she thinks that the reason she's forbidden is because she's impure. And the response that he gave was completely the opposite of it, the reasons that he said. I it turns that, it completely upside down. <laughs> yeah, completely. completely turn it upside down. And this was the first time that I had heard someone speak about it so positively. And I was so grateful for that interview with him. Uh, You know, with every single practice that we dug deeper, there were two things that stood out. One, they were never meant to suppress women. The whole practice was centered around the fact that if menstruating women did this during their period, it would negatively impact their menstrual health. And if we have to understand this deeper, I realized that we need to study the indigenous science. At some point the spiritual practices, the cultural practices in India came from our indigenous sciences and without an understanding of that, obviously these practices would look like a taboo or like superstition. after he said this, we just went on this tour of exploring and understanding Ayurveda, which is the Indian form of medicine, and we try to understand what is it that happened when the consecration happened in a temple? What do they mean when you say that a certain energy is built into that space? How are ancient temples constructed? And what are the subtle forces that operate within the human body, which influence menstruation and the external energies that we come in contact with? This was an eye-opening phenomenon, and I cannot say that I know it all, but definitely I have come to this point where I can say that none of these practices are superstition and that majority of them are rooted in science it's just up to us how deeply we want to explore it and dig it
1: and it's really to honor to honor women and their health
2: absolutely at every point you know the more the cultural practices existed it is an indication to us that this society or this group of people knew more they knew the subtle forces that influence the hormonal changes that cause menstruation One of the biggest gaps we have in modern medicine today is that it has not gone beyond or deeper than the molecular level.
1: And Sino, I think this is a, it's so important for us to talk about this more. We're going to take a break, but we'll be back and we'll explore this.
0: Your life, your health, your network. 11 a.m. Eastern on Voice America Health and Wellness. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be.
1: Listen anywhere.
0: Get our mobile app for iPhone, Blackberry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, Blackberry App World, or Android Market. Steps to a Healthier You. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to The Womb Happy Hour. To reach Lorraine Giordano, her guest, or if you have a comment on the show, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Or send an email to info at inspiredtohealth.net. Now back to The Womb Happy Hour.
1: This is Lorraine Giordano, your host, and we are joined today by Sinu you, Joseph. Um, She is the co-creator of Mithri Speaks. And we are talking about menstrual practices um, that were created in order to honor women rather than to consider them unclean or not pure. And so, Sinu, uh, let's take it where we left off at the break. You're talking Mm -hmm. about what really hasn't changed in science. And then I'd like to ask you about your TEDx talk.
2: Mm Right. Right. Uh, I was talking about how in modern medicine we haven't gone deeper than the molecular level. We understand disease at that level, largely our drugs are manufactured to treat symptoms at that level. Whereas if you look at our indigenous science, Ayurveda, it talks about the human body at the level of the subtle forces which in turn influences the atoms and the molecules and causes the disease. And when you know this and when you know that there are deeper levels that you need to go to, suddenly all the practices that came into being begin to make sense. Uh, Sometime early last year I was invited by a local TEDx group to deliver my third talk on menstruation and my first response was I've already spoken twice on this subject on TEDx do I really need to do a third one (laughs) And and the organizer was very particular and said that no you haven't spoken about the cultural practices you've written about it but you haven't spoken on about it on stage and I said yes because that's going to be very controversial and are you sure you you want that on your platform?" And uh, they were very positive about it because in India, so many women follow these practices and majority of them are still not fully aware of the reasons behind it. We largely talk about it at the practical level, we say, okay, there were restrictions on movement so that women get rest during menstruation. While that is not wrong, there was a lot more to it which is largely unexplored and not spoken about. So I was invited to do this talk and uh, I did and I titled it as the super science behind uh, menstrual practices and it spoke about Ayurveda and how that operates at the quantum level and how the practices that we have today arose from that understanding. At the end of the talk, much to my own surprise, I had even gynecologists among the audience who walked up to me and uh, the first thing they asked me was, are you a doctor? <laughs> and I said, no, are you one? And they said, yes. <laughs> and I said, and that, that usually gets me nervous and um, and especially they were gynecologists, you know. So I said, what do you think of the talk? And they said, it, it opened up a new world of understanding for us because uh, we haven't heard of these things be- before. We live here, many of us follow these practices due to the tradition, but as a doctor, as a person of science, I hadn't thought about it this way. So the video went up online a few weeks later and I never did any promotions, no paid promotions, nothing, just shared it as I normally would share anything else, but it just went viral within days. There were more than 1,000 Facebook shares and more than 12,000 views in a matter of few days.
1: Which is incredible,
2: very impactful.
1: Yeah, which was
2: very shocking for me. And I didn't know that it would have such an impact. And then without warning, the main TEDx people asked the local TEDx organizers to take it off. So the video was removed and not available for about two to three months. So the many people who had shared it began writing to me saying the link leads to nothing. What's happening? Uh, I tried to ask the local TEDx organizers and they said they're trying to get in touch with the main TEDx organizers. There was a reason given that it needs to be uploaded from the main TEDx library. So we just waited and it was back up. It was not just my talk, you know, the other speakers who did the talk with me. So all of our videos were later uploaded via the main TEDx library. But the difference was that just my video was made unlisted while everybody else's was publicly available. Being unlisted on YouTube means that you cannot find my talk with a search. Only those who have a link can view it. And suddenly from 12,000 odd views, you saw zero. (laughs) And it was so disappointing and we wrote to them and asked them why they have done it and we are yet to get a response. But They haven't responded yet. They haven't and it's still unlisted and you will only be able to view the talk if you get a link from which is available on my website or my blog. But this is a classic case of suppressing voices that are different from the popular line of thought. If we are not even willing to allow people from other cultures to speak and be heard, then we are doing injustice, not just to the different cultures that exist, but we are also depriving women in the West from learning something that could greatly benefit their health and prevent menstrual disorders. I wish that those of you who are interested to know more about this would go either to my blog or website and look it up. But I I do wish that, you know, as a whole, we would be more open to perspectives that we are not familiar with. We need not understand all of it. But it would be nice if we were just open to it a little bit more.
1: I completely agree. And I do find it shocking that um, Telex hasn't, at least address why they, what's going on to you. If they took it down, they should at least address and uh, acknowledge a reason per se. Yeah. Um, and it's not fair to uh, to silence or suppress valuable information that might improve someone's health, like you're saying. So I highly recommend um, for those listeners out there to really take some, take a few minutes and and. Look at the super science behind menstrual practices, and especially if you have endometriosis, because um, you know you talk yeah. about endometriosis, yeah. and I I think it's so it gave me the chills, and it was so powerful as someone with endometriosis. Um, mm-hmm. it, it it's really worth um, kind of opening up to a different perspective. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Thank you. Thank, Thank you, Lorraine. You're welcome. And
1: so. I hope you um, will consider to do more videos even if they're taken down because there are other ways to get the word out, right?
2: <laughs> yes, I think this is one of those talks and I'm so happy that you get it and you wanted me on air and you allowed me the freedom to speak about these things. I really appreciate that.
1: Yeah, because we're at a time where we're able to collaborate, right? We're able to share different ideas and so that benefits young girls and older women, it, it, it's helpful to open up the perspective rather than limit the discussion. And I do think with medical conditions, you know, medical talk per se, there is an added level of controversy, but that doesn't mean that the conversation shouldn't happen.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: So, in, in the United States, there's a lot of talks about um, taxing menstrual products. It's a very hot topic in the United States. Mm-hmm. What is your opinion on Taxing Menstrual Products?
2: I have always appreciated how American women come together and speak about things that matter and do it with such boldness. And most often, the rest of the world just looks up to them and says, wow, we wish we did that, you know, we wish we could do that here in our own country. And I really have been following the work on removal of tampon tax that has been happening, the activism around it, and I know that there have been some successes too, and congratulations to those of you who fought that and won. Now speaking about this in the Indian context, the whole conversation of menstrual hygiene management that has evolved in India in recent times is pretty much a copy-paste from what has been happening in the West, and before we look at something and take it as it is, we need to understand the local context and how relevant it is here in India. I would like to say a bit about that. My problem is not so much about having tax or removing tax, it is more about the way in which that messaging has happened here. Uh, the major manufacturers of sanitary napkins in india are american companies procter and gamble and johnson and johnson and a lot of the research and the media articles are in some ways influenced by the message that they want to put across to capture the market my problem or rather my concern has been there are a lot of false statistics and numbers have been quoted to project a need among Indian women for sanitary napkins. The most popular thing line that you will read in international media is that only 12% women in India are using sanitary napkins, and all the others are apparently using dry leaves and cow dung and paper and unsanitized husk and whatnot. <laughs> I just want to I just want you to take a moment and think about it. How is it even practically possible to use cow dung when you menstruate? <laughs> that makes no it's sense. It's so ridiculous, but this is the conversation that is happening about India and Indian women, this unnecessary shaming of Indian women just to promote a product. And if you look at the statistics of 12%, it is not even a study that is valid. Uh, it was something that was done by A.C. Nielsen Research Company and an, and an NGO called Plan India. And despite repeated attempts to get that research paper, I never found it anywhere. So it's probably a study that didn't really happen. Oh my media, goodness. Yes. And um, I did contact Society for Menstrual Cycle Research. And with the help of Chris Bobel, I tried to again dig this out. And this is what she and the people at SMCR had to say, that the study is highly suspicious and should not be taken seriously because no one has a copy of it.
1: And so, you know, on that note, yeah. we're going to have to take a break, but we'll pick up mm-hmm. the, the, the report sure. when we get back.
0: Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Do you get a little nervous or hesitate to discuss topics down there that aren't talked about often? We hear you. Or are you curious to look at frequently discussed topics from a different perspective? Visiting inspiredtohealth.net opens up a whole world of discussion that you may not have known even existed. Lorraine Dano offers a form of open and frank discussion about those seemingly unmentionable topics down below. Visit now, inspiredtohealth.net. If you're busy, stressed, and can't ever seem to find the time to add in those new healthy habits, you need to check out Lisa Lutan's busy, stressed, and food-obsessed show. This program will help you discover easy ways to improve your health and happiness. Plus, you will pick up all sorts of tips on better eating, fitness, relationships, how to manage stress, and a lot more. You'll feel yourself becoming healthier just by tuning in. Listen live every Thursday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Looking for exciting video content live and on demand? Visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else. That's voiceamerica.tv. Tune in now. Real Life Solutions. Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to The Womb Happy Hour. To reach Lorraine Giordano, her guest, or if you have a comment on the show, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Or send an email to info at inspiredtohealth.net. Now back to The Womb Happy Hour. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to The Womb Happy Hour. This is Lorraine Giordano,
1: your host, and we are joined today by Sinu Jusuf, She is the co-creator of Myth Speaks, and we are talking about menstrual practices um, that were created in order to honor women rather than to consider them unclean or not pure. And so, Sinu, uh, let's take it where we left off at the break. You're talking Mm -hmm. about what really hasn't changed in science. And then I'd like to ask you about your TEDx talk.
2: Mm Right. Uh, I was talking about how in modern medicine, we haven't gone deeper than the molecular level. We understand disease at that level, largely our drugs are manufactured to treat symptoms at that level, whereas if you look at our indigenous science, Ayurveda, it talks about the human body at the level of the subtle forces, which in turn influences the atoms and the molecules and causes the disease. And when you know this, and when you know that there are deeper levels that you need to go to, suddenly all the practices that came into being begin to make sense. Uh, Sometime early last year, I was invited by a local TEDx group to deliver my third talk on menstruation. And my first response was, I've already spoken twice on this subject on TEDx, do I really need to do a third one? <laughs> and, the, <laughs> and the organizer was very particular and said that, no, you haven't spoken about the cultural practices, you've written about it, but you haven't spoken on about it on stage. And I said, yes, because that's going to be very controversial and are you sure you you want that on your platform?" And uh, they were very positive about it, because in India, so many women follow these practices and majority of them are still not fully aware of the reasons behind it. We largely talk about it at the practical level, we say, okay, there were restrictions on movement so that women get rest during menstruation. While that is not wrong, there was a lot more to it which is largely unexplored and not spoken about. So I was invited to do this talk and uh, I did and I titled it as the super science behind uh, menstrual practices and it spoke about Ayurveda and how that operates at the quantum level and how the practices that we have today arose from that understanding. At the end of the talk, much to my own surprise, I had even gynecologists among the audience who walked up to me and uh, the first thing they asked me was, are you a doctor? <laughs> and I said, no, are you one? And they said, yes. <laughs> and I said, and that, that usually gets me nervous and um, and especially they were gynecologists, you know. So I said, what do you think of the talk? And they said, it, it opened up a new world of understanding for us because uh, we haven't heard of these things be- before. We live here, many of us follow these practices due to the tradition, but as a doctor, as a person of science, I hadn't thought about it this way. So the video went up online a few weeks later and I never did any promotions, no paid promotions, nothing. Just shared it as I normally would share anything else, but it just went viral within days. There were more than 1,000 Facebook shares and more than 12,000 views in a matter of few days. Which is incredible, very impactful,
1: yeah. Which was very
2: shocking for me, and I didn't know that it would have such an impact. And then, without warning, the main TEDx people asked the local TEDx organizers to take it off. So the video was removed and not available for about two to three months. So the many people who had shared it began writing to me saying the link leads to nothing. What's happening? Uh, I tried to ask the local TEDx organizers and they said they're trying to get in touch with the main TEDx organizers. There was a reason given that it needs to be uploaded from the main TEDx library. So we just waited and it was back up. It was not just my talk, you know, the other speakers who did the talk with me. So all of our videos were later uploaded via the main TEDx library, but the difference was that just my video was made unlisted while everybody else's was publicly available. Being unlisted on YouTube means that you cannot find my talk with a search. Only those who have a link can view it. And suddenly from 12,000 odd views, you saw zero. (laughs) And it was so disappointing and we wrote to them and asked them why they have done it and we are yet to get a response. But They haven't responded yet. They haven't and it's still unlisted and you will only be able to view the talk if you get a link from which is available on my website or my blog. But this is a classic case of suppressing voices that are different from the popular line of thought. If we are not even willing to allow people from other cultures to speak and be heard, then we are doing injustice, not just to the different cultures that exist, but we are also depriving women in the West from learning something that could greatly benefit their health and prevent menstrual disorders. I wish that those of you who are interested to know more about this would go either to my blog or website and look it up. But I did wish, I do wish that, you know, as a whole, we would be more open to perspectives that we are not familiar with. We need not understand all of it, but it would be nice if we were just open to it a little bit more.
1: I completely agree, and I do find it shocking that um, Telex hasn't. At least address why they, what's going on to you. If they took it down, they should at least address and uh, acknowledge a reason per se. Yeah. Um, and it's not fair to uh, to silence or suppress valuable information that might improve someone's health, like you're saying. So I highly recommend um, for those listeners out there to really take some, take a few minutes and and look at the super science behind menstrual practices, and especially if you have endometriosis, because, um, you know, you talk yeah. about endometriosis, yeah. and I, I I think it's so... It gave me the chills, and it was so powerful. As someone with endometriosis, um, mm-hmm. it, it, it's really worth um, kind of opening up to a different perspective. Yeah, yeah.
2: Thank you. Thank, Thank you, Lorraine.
1: You're welcome. And so... I hope you um, will consider to do more videos, even if they're taken down, because there are other ways to get
2: the word out, right? <laughs> yes, I think this is one of those talks, and I'm so happy that you get it, and you wanted me on air, and you allowed me the freedom to speak about these things. I really appreciate that.
1: Yeah, because we're at a time where we're able to collaborate. Right? We're able to share different ideas. And so that benefits young girls and older women, it, it, it's helpful to open up the perspective rather than limit the discussion. And I do think with medical conditions, you know, medical talk per se, there is an added level of controversy, but that doesn't mean that the conversation shouldn't happen.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: So, in in the United States, there's a lot of talks about um, taxing menstrual products. It's a very hot topic in the United States. Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. is your opinion on taxing menstrual products?
2: I have always appreciated how American women come together and speak about things that matter and do it with such boldness and most often the rest of the world just looks up to them and says, wow, we wish we did that, you know, we wish we could do that here in our own country. And I really have been following the work on removal of tampon tax that has been happening, the activism around it, and I know that there have been some successes too, and congratulations to those of you who fought that and won. Now speaking about this in the Indian context. The whole conversation of menstrual hygiene management that has evolved in India in recent times is pretty much a copy-paste from what has been happening in the West. And before we look at something and take it as it is, we need to understand the local context and how relevant it is here in India. I would like to say a bit about that. My problem is not so much about having tax or removing tax, it is more about the way in which that messaging has happened here. Uh, The major manufacturers of sanitary napkins in India are American companies, Procter and Gamble and Johnson and Johnson. And a lot of the research and the media articles are in some ways influenced by the message that they want to put across to capture the market. My problem or rather my concern has been that a lot of false statistics and numbers have been quoted to project a need among Indian women for sanitary napkins. The most popular thing line that you will read in international media is that only 12% women in India are using sanitary napkins and all the others are apparently using dry leaves and cow dung and paper and unsanitized husk and whatnot. I just want to I just want you to take a moment and think about it how is it even practically possible to use cow dung when you menstruate that makes no it's sense it's so ridiculous but this is the conversation that is happening about india and indian women this unnecessary shaming of indian women just to promote a product and if you look at the statistics of 12% it is not even a study that is valid Uh, It was something that was done by A.C. Nielsen Research Company and an an NGO called Plan India. And despite repeated attempts to get that research paper, I never found it anywhere. So it's probably a study that didn't really happen. Oh my goodness. Yes. And um, I did contact Society for Menstrual Cycle Research. And with the help of Chris Bobel, I tried to again dig this out. And this is what she and the people at SMCR had to say that the study is highly suspicious and should not be taken seriously because no one has a copy of it.
1: And so, you know, on that note, we're going to have to take a break, but we'll pick Mm up the the, the report when we get
0: back. What does health
1: look like in an ailing world? How do we tend what needs our care? Join Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio hosts each week as we explore pathways to health for self, society, and the planet. We are home to a range of voices, as there is no single roadmap for meeting the challenges of our times. Tune in Thursdays at 2 p.m. Pacific and 5 p.m. Eastern Time to expand your perspective, deepen your attention, and cultivate practices that support personal, communal, and global health on Voice America's health and wellness channel.
0: Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Listening to the Womb Happy Hour. To reach Lorraine Giordano, her guest, or if you have a comment on the show, please call in to 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. Or send an email to info at inspiredtohealth.net. Now back to the Womb Happy Hour. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. We are having
1: a fascinating conversation on the Womb Happy Hour. Sino Joseph from myth Speaks is uh, sharing a lot of valuable, insightful, impactful information regarding her perspective of menstruation um, the ancient science, the wisdom of Ayurveda and we were when we broke we were just kind of getting into how menstrual leave helps us to connect
2: to nature so Sino, please pick it up Right I, I was talking about how women in India are taking the whole menstrual leave debate, and I would like to share that honestly, it is not something new that has happened in India, especially if you look at South India. There are so many women in the rural areas who even today take time off during their period. In fact, in the states of Karnataka and Andhra Pradesh, menstruation itself is referred to the term used to uh, represent menstruation is raja. literally means a day off so it is understood that when a woman is on her period she takes three days off and the others in the family including the husbands and the male children do the necessary chores and the cooking and just help her out and make sure that she has time off to just rest and relax. So what happens with this is that women look forward to these three days they don't it it does not create a stress it it becomes something that actually relaxes them so we work through the month and then when we suddenly get up period we we just go ah now we can take time off (laughs) and (laughs) and i'd like to share that in my at my three speaks my team and i actually follow this we don't take time off on sundays we work through sundays But when we menstruate, we allow ourselves to take two or three days off. And really, that is the only rest that a female body needs. Because if you look at a woman's cycle, we have a monthly cycle. And just after our period, when estrogen levels are high, we have high energy and we can accomplish a lot more work at that time. But as we approach menstruation and the progesterone levels rise, we begin to feel more exhausted. And then on the three days during the period, that's when our body actually needs a break. So if we could shift our work patterns to sync it with the times when we menstruate, it would not result in a decrease in our productivity. It would be quite the opposite. We would be able to be better at work. and obviously our health would be better too. And this this whole idea of shifting our work cycles to sync with that of nature, that is the thing that excites me about the whole menstrual leave debate. And I think at some point the conversation also needs to extend to men. And we need to look at what is what are the cycles for men and how can they too begin to work in sacred nature. Because the whole idea of taking time off on Sunday is just a convenience that we introduce to standardize things and make it easier to manage. It has nothing to do with what your body needs. If you look at the way traditionally in India, people who lived and worked as farmers, how they took time off, we will observe that there were patterns that they followed to sync with nature's and the seasonal changes in the earth cycle. To understand how nature influences our body and the functioning of our systems, we need to meet women who are not connected to gadgets and electricity and sounds and noise and the typical things that we surround ourselves with in an urban lifestyle. And we met such women in the interior forests in South India. They were women who belonged to certain tribes. And we were doing an interview to understand their menstrual health. And when we interviewed these women, and the team got back and we asked each other, What did you find? What did you find? And when we shared our answers, one of the most interesting things that we found was that all the women we interviewed their period on the exact same day every month. And this day, they did not remember it as a date. They remembered it as Amavasya or the day of no moon. So when the, the moon cycle is in the phase where we call it no moon or a dark moon, that is when all the women fled. And we suddenly realized that maybe that is what should ideally be happening to our bodies. It's just that we are so disturbed, our rhythms are so out of sync with that of nature that most of us no longer bleed like that.
1: No. No, we don't.
2: Yes, we don't. And uh, then the question came up, what about men? When do they take their time off? Because the women follow these cycles and they menstruate with the new moon and that's their day off. What about the men? And we came across instances where farmers Uh, would refuse to plant anything during this time of Amavasya or no moon. And they speak not as a superstitious belief, but they they say that I have experienced this, I have planted something on this day and it simply did not grow. So this is the time when the male farmers also take time off. So it just became a natural thing that in the village, when there is no moon, nobody works, everyone rests. And see new. We're yes. gonna have
1: to we're gonna have to wrap it up in a in a minute or two. but yes. um, I'd like to ask you before mm-hmm. we go, um, if if women or young girls want to find out more about Ayurveda and um, what they can do to help with their menstrual pain, um, mm-hmm. would you recommend that they check out your your blog, your
2: website? Absolutely. Uh, I have written extensively about not just menstrual practices but also how you can prevent period pain. Mm -hmm. I would also recommend that no matter who you are and where you are, you incorporate a teeny-weeny bit of yoga and breathing techniques into your lifestyle because this is the best way to prevent menstrual disorders because yoga works at the level of the subtle forces that influence the menstrual cycle. And if you're looking for a beginner's guide to it, the Indian government this year, while celebrating the International Yoga Day, came up with a video. It's called the Common Yoga Protocol. It is about 45 minutes of yoga, simple yoga practice, which anyone can do.
1: Okay, and on that
2: note, and
1: I, I really... Would love to have you back on for part two so we can talk more about yeah. all this. I think we should yeah. plan for that because I think it's <laughs> so I think what you're sharing is so important and there's so much more to talk about. But for those listening, again, if you'd like to connect with us, you know, Her website is My3Speaks, M-Y-T-H-R-I-Speaks.org. Please check check out her blogs at My3Speaks.wordpress.com. She's got a lot of amazing information out there. And at Facebook, it's at My3Speaks. And so thank you so much for being on the show, Sinu. And thank you, listeners, for joining us. And uh, we'll be back next week on the Womb Happy Hour. Remember to spend some time, take some deep breaths, and send a little love and light to your to your womb, and uh, have a great
0: week. Thank you for joining us for the Womb Happy Hour. Be sure to tune in again for another edition featuring your host, Lorraine Giordano, next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have an excellent week.